Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful that you have given us a heart to desire your word just like we've read. Lord, we do treasure your word. It's more important to us than the sweetness of the food we eat, more precious than the possessions we have. And Father, we declare also that we love your law and that it is our meditation all the day. We pray, Lord, that we'll always be this way from conversion until we reach our consummation and meet you face to face. Our Lord, we ask that we will increase in righteousness and godliness and excel, excel beyond our enemies, excel beyond our teachers, excel beyond the aged, wherever we go, whomever we meet, not because of our goodness and righteousness, but because you have humbled us and given us a righteous desire to know you in truth, to know the word of truth, to have true knowledge of God by your word, not by our understanding and human wisdom, but your wisdom in your word given by your Holy Spirit. Our Father, we pray that this wisdom, this knowledge, this understanding from your word will cause us to increase in righteousness and produce greater and greater amounts of the fruit of the Spirit in our life and in the lives of those uh, over whom we have charge in our families and in our churches. Lord, work in us and be pleased to work in us as we study more of your word from this portion of scripture in the book of Genesis. Teach us for this next hour, for we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Genesis chapter 40, the prophet Joseph interprets dreams. Joseph the prophet interprets two dreams here in Genesis 40. Genesis 40, verse 1. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, they both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation." 
When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand, according to your former custom, when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon." When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Amen. In this chapter, there are two dreams. There are two different distinct interpretations of these dreams. There are similarities, but the consequence or result of the two dreams are different. And Joseph is the prophet of God who is endowed with the ability to interpret accurately and predict the future on these two dreams. In chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. These two officials of the king have offended the king after Joseph was put in prison. In the previous chapter, he was put in prison unjustly because of the false accusation of Potiphar, the captain of the bodyguard, his wife against Joseph, and Potiphar chose to imprison Joseph. 
Well, in this place, after that event, Joseph is there, and now the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt are also in prison. It doesn't tell us the nature of the offense, but it was serious enough, and perhaps even had to do with an assassination plot, because once it's discovered, once the dream is explained, and once the baker is released, what punishment does the baker receive? Execution. And likely that was because he tried to assassinate the Pharaoh. Perhaps something like that happened. But in, before it was all investigated, both the cupbearer, who was a suspect, and the baker, both suspects, were thrown into prison. Pharaoh was furious at them, verse 2 says. So, verse 3, so he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. It's likely in the same house, so that Potiphar, from chapter 39, Potiphar, who was the master of Joseph, when he put Joseph in prison, he now puts these two, Pharaoh through Potiphar, the captain of the bodyguard, puts these two officials in there with Joseph. And notice in verse 4, And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. He took care of them. Joseph was put in charge. The captain of the bodyguard probably realized and knew that Joseph was innocent But he had to do something to please his wife and to make the best of his circumstances. He practiced a level of of compromise with his wife against Joseph, but he probably knew Joseph was innocent. And in this regard, he puts Joseph in charge of these two officials in the jail, in his own house, that jail. He's still in charge of recognizing Joseph's character, his virtues, in taking care of the rest of the prisoners. They are there for some time. How old was Joseph when this happened? How old was Joseph and how long were they in the jail? It doesn't tell us how long they were in the jail. However, we do know that this incident of the two dreams must have happened about the age of 28 for Joseph. How many years he was there, we don't know. How long they were there together in the prison. But he was age 28 at this point in chapter 40. Why do we say so? Because in chapter 41, verse 1, Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. After two full years, after the interpretation of these two dreams, the cupbearer is released and he's serving in the court again. After two years, Pharaoh has dreams and then no one's able to interpret. The cupbearer remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Pharaoh calls Joseph out of the prison and then Pharaoh is told by Joseph what his dreams mean, then Pharaoh makes Joseph the ruler of Egypt, the second ruler of Egypt, correct? 
And when he did become the ruler of Egypt, it says in 41:46, now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. After his appointment as ruler of Egypt, at that time he was 30 years old. So that there were two years prior when the cupbearer didn't mention, didn't remember Joseph to Pharaoh, but the dreams of Pharaoh caused him to do it. And then when that happened, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and then became the ruler of Egypt. So he had to be about 40 years old in chapter 40. I'm sorry, 28 years old in chapter 40. Joseph was. I point this out to show how young he was still. And and young in terms of his righteousness and faithfulness to God. Remember from 37.2, he was 17 years old when his brothers abused him, and sold him as a slave. He was 17 years old when that happened, and now he is 28 years old by chapter 40. Between ages 17 and 28, that's chapters 37 to 40, his righteousness. Then, verse 5, chapter 40, verse 5. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king, who were confined in jail, they both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked them in verse 7, and he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? In 5 to 7, These two officials have dreams. They are saddened that a revelation is given, but the interpretation is not given. It's curious to them, and it causes them to be discouraged that a revelation of God is given to them, but the interpretation is not given. Naturally then, one would be sad, one would be grieved, one would want to find out what does the dream mean? What do the dreams mean? They would naturally want to do so. And Joseph becomes the agent by which the dreams are interpreted. Before we reach Joseph, is it possible for God to speak to unbelievers in dreams? Does God speak to unbelievers in dreams? Whether they are unbelievers and remain unbelievers, or whether they are unbelievers and eventually become believers, does God speak to unbelievers, whether we call it a dream, or whether it's a vision, or some other circumstance, does God occasionally reveal himself to unbelievers? The answer is yes. Already in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 20 Genesis chapter 20, verse 3. Genesis 20, verse 3. It says clearly, 20, verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, 
You are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, an unbeliever, and therefore God approaches him in a dream of the night with his word, with an oracle, threatening death if he doesn't repent of taking Sarah as his wife. He does, and God withholds the judgment. He was at least an unbeliever at this point. Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Another example of this we find in the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 35. 2 Chronicles 35. This has to do with Pharaoh. A Pharaoh many years later in the time of King Josiah, but it is the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. 2 Chronicles 35, verse 20. 2 Chronicles 35, 20. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to engage him. But Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house with which I am at war. And God has ordered me to hurry. He says, God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me that he, God, may not destroy you. Necho is claiming this. God has ordered, God who is with me, he may not destroy you. But is Necho telling the truth? Yes. Verse 22. After the quote of Necho, verse 22 says, However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguise himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, from the mouth of God, but came to make war on the plain of Megiddo. The prophet by the Holy Spirit tells us that Necho did speak from the mouth of God. Furthermore, in John chapter 11, John 11, 11, 47 to 53, John 11, 47 to 53. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Now, this he did not say on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, and not only, uh, and not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. Caiaphas holds the office of high priest. He's an unbeliever. He's a wicked man. He conspires to put Jesus to death. They still want to put him to death. 
even after he prophesies. It says in verses 49 to 50 what he prophesied. But he didn't say that on his own initiative, John the Apostle says in verse 51. He didn't say it that way. He prophesied because he was the high priest. And God gave him a word to announce to him uh, or through him to all the enemies of Christ. That this is according to the will of God that you will be complicit, though knowingly having a word from me, you will do this. You'll still do it. Unbelievers receiving an oracle from God. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius receives a word from God in a vision. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in to him and said to him, Cornelius, and so forth. It describes him as devout, God-fearing. He gave many alms to the Jewish people, prayed to God continually, and an angel of God appears to him and tells him that he, he should fetch for Simon Peter, and even Simon Peter is told in a vision that he should go to the house of Cornelius. They meet up because Simon Peter, along with six men, go to Cornelius' house. Simon Peter preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 10, and the household is converted based on the preaching of the gospel in Acts chapter 10. They're converted after Simon preached. So Cornelius was an unbeliever when the angel of God appeared to him. And to confirm it, Acts eleven fourteen. 14. We'll read actually 11, 12 to 14. Acts 11, verse 12. Peter is recounting to the brethren in Jerusalem what just happened at the house of Cornelius. Verse 12. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings, And these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Peter had to come and preach words so that it says here, by which you will be saved. And it shows that Cornelius was unsaved when the angel appeared to him, right? In this case, he became a believer. But it's not the case in every situation. People might receive a word from God or an oracle from God, a dream, a vision, a personal appearance of God, a mysterious move of the Holy Spirit working in the mind and heart and mouth of someone to speak the word of God, but it's not a believer. Matthew 7 shows us this. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They will all say, Lord, Lord. And what is one of the things that they do? They prophesy. They cast out demons and perform many miracles all in the name of Christ, but they don't belong to Christ. God, at times, endows unbelievers with miraculous abilities. That's the case with these two dreamers, the baker and the cupbearer in Genesis 40. Receiving a word from God related to their circumstances. They understand that it is divine. Joseph understands that it is divine. That's why he answers the way he does. Genesis 40, verse 8. Genesis 40, verse 8. Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me. Please, do not interpretations belong to God. Why does he say that? And why does he say, tell it to me, please? On the one hand, he recognizes, Joseph recognizes, the, that these interpretations, both the oracles and the correct interpretations of them, have to come from God. Because sinful man cannot predict the future accurately and sinful man cannot interpret God's word accurately unless they possess the Spirit of God. When we say accurately, we mean 100% accurately. They cannot do so unless the Holy Spirit dwells in them. Joseph understood that. That's why he says, do not interpretations belong to God. Not only do the dreams themselves belong to him, but the interpretation of those dreams correctly interpreted belong to God by his Holy Spirit. Joseph knows that. That's why he says that. We might wonder, how would Joseph know that? Remember, we call Joseph a prophet. Was he a prophet? He was indeed a prophet because in Genesis 37, he himself first received dreams from God. In Genesis 37, he himself first received dreams from God. Now, he's going to interpret the dreams of others. Psalm 105. Psalm 105, verses 8 to 15, call Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob prophets. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are called prophets. Then we pick it up with Joseph. Verse 16. 105, 16. And he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass. Until the time that his word came to pass. What word? 
the word which he first announced in Genesis 37. And that word, by the dreams, actually came from God. So God's word became Joseph's word that Joseph announced to his family. And it says, the word of the Lord tested him. The word of God tested him during the time of his afflictions, from chapters 37 to 41. God's word is testing him. Will Joseph produce fruit? Will he be refined and come forth as gold? And in due time, God deliver him and use him. The word of the Lord was testing him while his word was announced and received by the people. Verse 20, the king sent and released him, the ruler of peoples, and set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princes at will that he, Joseph, might teach his elders wisdom, Pharaoh's elders wisdom. Well, if Joseph is teaching the elders of Pharaoh wisdom, what wisdom is Joseph teaching them? His own wisdom? Or God's wisdom that Joseph has learned because he's a prophet of God. Remember we read Psalm 119, 97 to 104. How is it that young Joseph could teach the elders and Pharaoh, whoever else, even his own father and his own brothers, any wisdom? Because of God's commandments, because of God's word, which make him wiser than He's the aged. I have more understanding than the aged, for I have observed your precepts. That's how he knows more and is able to teach them more because he has the word of God as a prophet of God. In the book of Daniel, there's different ways to summarize the book of Daniel. One of the ways to summarize the book is In Daniel chapters 1 to 6, Daniel is the correct interpreter of others' dreams and circumstances. Daniel is the correct, accurate interpreter. Daniel the prophet is the correct interpreter of others' dreams and circumstances or sins. He is the interpreter, the accurate interpreter interpreter as a prophet of God. And he's called a prophet in Matthew 24:15. Christ called Daniel a prophet. Daniel the prophet. Matthew 24:15. But in the last half of the book of Daniel, Daniel 7 to 13, I'm sorry, Daniel um, 7 to 12, the last verse is 12:13. Daniel's chapter 7 to 12, Daniel he has dreams And God gives him the interpretation. This is similar to Joseph. Whether it's someone else's dreams or sins correctly interpreted by the prophet to explain to them, or the prophet receives his own dreams and visions, oracles of God, and then God interprets for the prophet so that he might correctly understand what God had revealed to him and then explain to the people. It happens both ways. That's what's happening with Joseph. In chapter 37, he had his own dreams and God gave him understanding on the true meaning of those. And in chapter 40, Joseph understands that 
interpretations belong to God. So I, the prophet of God, God endows me with the ability to interpret your dreams from God. This also shows that Joseph, not only was he conscientious, he was conscious about the origin of his abilities. He taught the people this. He taught the people, because he's saying there, do not interpretations belong to God, tell it to me, please. They belong to God, but tell it to me, because I'm a prophet of God. And I'll explain it to you once you tell me the dreams. In 41, chapter 41, when Joseph appears before Pharaoh and interprets his dreams, in 4137, 4137 to 39, Joseph even caused Pharaoh to understand this point. 4137, now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Pharaoh's not saying this in ignorance. He's not a gullible man. He's not a pushover. That's not why he's saying all this. He's saying this because it's real. It's true. And also notice in 38... Unfortunately, the New American Standard Bible says, in whom is a divine spirit. Literally, it says, in whom is the spirit of God. In whom is the spirit of God. Spirit of God. Which means Joseph taught the people, wherever he went, about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God mentioned there. He recognized that, and in verse 39, God has informed you. The true God, your God, Joseph, has informed you, and no one surpasses your discernment and wisdom. No one does, because the true God has informed you. One more point in verse 8 has to do with the humility of Joseph. Joseph does not usurp the authority, usurp the wisdom, and claim it for himself. He understands that it's actually coming from God, and it's similar to John 3, 27. John 3, 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Moreover, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who regards you as superior? And what do you have? That you did not receive. But if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Joseph does not behave in this way, in the arrogant way. He understands that what he's receiving, whatever abilities, spiritual abilities he has, it comes from God. And he's not boasting, he's acknowledging the source of it. 
And also there's James 1.17. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. James 1.17. We might be amazed or stunned, but we shouldn't be, that all of these truths are in the Old Testament, embedded in the Old Testament. It's often the case that people think these concepts, these truths, this theology, this salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Christ, so on, all of these things are absent from the Old Testament or, or are very dark and dim in the Old Testament, so dark and dim that people don't know about it. Not even the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, they don't know about it, but it's not true. They did know about it. If we read it carefully and understand the implications of what they're saying, it's all over the place throughout the Old Testament. They were fully aware and fully believed in the same gospel that you and I believe. Joseph included. Now we come to verse 9. Genesis 40, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold... There was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. The cupbearer we have in verses 9 to 15 Then we'll have the baker in 16 to 19. The cupbearer first. We notice that the cupbearer spoke up first and he had a favorable dream with a favorable interpretation. He is going to be restored. Joseph interprets the dream by telling him that the three branches are three days, verse 12. This is an indication when it says three days. When we see the number three in verse 10, without the interpretation, how will we know if the three refers to time? And if it does refer to time, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, how do we know any of that? Three decades, three centuries? How do we know what the three means? When he says it's three days, And he's saying it with certainty. That's Joseph, by the Spirit of God, declaring the certain, clear interpretation of the dream. Three days. Furthermore, that when it says in verse 11, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, that's his regular duty. That's his normal duty, correct? And if that's his normal duty, 
he used to do it. Temporarily, he's not doing it. He's going to be restored to doing it. That sounds good and right. Nothing bad. And he interprets that as meaning, verse 13, within three more days, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. The phrase, lift up your head, occurs in 13, 19, and 20. Just the phrase, lift up your head, just that phrase is also used in Jeremiah 52.31 and 2 Kings 25.27. Jeremiah 52.31 and 2 Kings 25.27. And it refers to being released from prison. Because the moment you are released, that you're not, not going to stay there, it's a matter of you being down and dreary, discouraged in the prison, but then your head is lifted up, you have some hope, a ray of hope, because the prison door is going to be open for you to be released. So it's a figure of speech meaning you will be released. Now that release is confirmed as restoration to office in verse 13. And restore you to your office. That's the confirmation. You're not only going to exit the jail, you're going to be put back to your official role. And that official role is a very strategic, a very important role, that is to put the cup of the king in his hand so that the cup is filled with proper contents, without any poison, without anything that's going to harm him. That's the reason for the cupbearer or the butler. That's what his, his role is, to ensure that whatever the pharaoh drinks is nutritious and is good for him, not harmful to him. 14. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. We notice here that his request is not for elevation, exaltation, his request is not for a monetary reward. His request is not to be put into some palace or in some official's residence or even, will you make me your slave? Can I go into, into your house, cupbearer? Can I help you and your family? You saw how diligent I was in the jail. I, I don't mind as long as I'm released. You give me my livelihood. Joseph doesn't ask about any of that. He just wants justice to be released from jail. He only wants justice. He wants a pardon from Pharaoh. And he wants the cupbearer to mention Joseph to receive a pardon from Pharaoh and be released for injustice. That is noble. And it shows that Joseph is not chasing after money, material possessions, fame. He's not seeking for anything like that. He's not even seeking for his freedom. He just wants justice for his predicament. He was unjustly thrown into the prison. Just get me out. Um, we notice that this kind of request of a prophet or denial of material goods by a prophet 
also happens in 2 Kings 5.16. 2 Kings 5.16, when Naaman was healed, Elisha did not receive anything from the hand of Naaman the Aramean. 2 Kings 5.16. Also, in Daniel 5.17, after Daniel interpreted, or when he was interpreting the dream, the king wanted to give him some possessions, and Daniel says, keep your gifts for yourself. I don't want to receive anything. That's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this, I'm telling you this, because it's true. I'm doing this because it's the will of God. I'm telling you this because God commissioned me, God endowed me, God gave me the interpretation to explain to you. That's why I'm doing it. So don't misunderstand my motives. I'm not like all the false prophets and false teachers. In other words, that's what he's saying. And Joseph is saying, I'm not like that. However, that doesn't happen. In verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Ingratitude. Ingratitude is an evil attitude. That's what actually happened with the cupbearer until chapter 41. Now verse 15. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. He was kidnapped. That was an injustice. That was the first injustice. And then the second injustice. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. I didn't do anything. There's no evidence. I was just thrown in here. And he's telling the truth, is he not? We can tell from the history from 37 to this point, Joseph is telling the truth. And this reminds us of the fact that Joseph, as a righteous man, When he's seeking for justice for himself, he's not sinning. When accusations arise, when false charges arise, when slanders arise, when arrests, when lawsuits, whatever, when they arise against the righteous, against the innocent, whether believer or unbeliever, it's not wrong and it's not evil for the innocent party whether a believer or an unbeliever, it's not wrong for the innocent man to speak up for himself, to say what exactly happened. It's not wrong. In fact, it's what's right. Because Joseph does it. It's what we should do. When the accusations rise up, we should refute them. We should do whatever is proper to annihilate them, get rid of them, so that the truth abounds, the truth rises to the surface, and all lies are destroyed. Joseph does this here in verse 15. He tells the cupbearer this very thing. And any any proper reading, even a casual reading of the book of Acts, Acts chapters 21 to 28, chapter after chapter, the apostle Paul is accused falsely. Is he not? Acts Acts chapters 21 to 28. Whether it's a small group of Jews in the synagogue or they come to meet him in his house arrest in Acts chapter 28, he explains exactly what happened to him, his predicament and how he got from Jerusalem to Rome. He explains to the Jews that he's done nothing wrong, 
but this is what they've been accusing me of, but here's the truth, and this is what I've been preaching, nothing new, it's all from the Old Testament, so why is everybody upset about me preaching this gospel of Christ? That's what he says to the Jews, whether in Acts 28 or Acts chapter 23, wherever he is in front of the Jews, he's preaching the truth, why are you accusing me? You should not be accusing me. I've done nothing wrong. I'm preaching what you yourself have believed and was your hope based on the promises of the Old Testament. That's what he did. Paul did. Acts chapters 21 to 28. Not only before the Jews, the religious body and his own countrymen, not only before them, but also before the Romans. Also before the Romans, in chapters 24, 25, and 26, he's before three Roman officials. And when the Roman officials, because of the instigation of the Jews, have Paul in arrest under Roman guard, the Roman officials need to deal with the matter because they want to put him to death and the Romans can't have innocent people put to death. It has to be on the basis of evidence and testimony of two or three witnesses. The Romans even believed that. They didn't always carry it out properly, but they believed in that, and it was a part of their laws. So they didn't want Paul put to death unless he had actually committed a crime. And what does Paul do before the Romans every time? Who have the authority to say the word and sentence him to death. What does Paul do before them? He defends himself. Chapter after chapter, he defends himself before the Roman officials. So it cannot be, and it is not, a sin for Christians to speak up and defend themselves when they are persecuted, when they are maligned, when there are accusations. Even if it goes to the courtroom, Christians must defend themselves. They should defend themselves. That's righteousness, not wickedness. Let's pause here and we'll deal with the rest of the chapter next hour.